to treat it just as a weekend for camping or for barbecuing. But we want to remember the ultimate human sacrifice that many women and men have made to safeguard our freedom. We want to remember those who are serving as first responders or in one of the five branches of the military. We ask for your hand of protection and we pray for your grace and mercy on those families. Father, we who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ celebrate freedom twice. Freedom as a nation and even the greater freedom from the bondage of sin which leads to death because your son paid the penalty of our sin on the cross, died on our behalf and then rose again on the third day that through faith in your son Jesus, confessing that we are sinners in the power of your spirit, turning from sin, we may be saved. And so we are freed twice, and we are so grateful. And as we look at your inspired and errant word, and we see the life of a man who lived for your glory and for your kingdom, we want to be inspired by him, that we might take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ, connecting and growing and going even more. Guide our time, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Perhaps like many of you, I have some heroes in my life. Some individuals who perhaps I've never met, perhaps I've learned about in history, but they're heroes nonetheless, and they impact my life and Hopefully they project my life further in the right direction to be used in kingdom work. One of the great heroes of my life, the hero of the faith, is a man named William Wilberforce. He lived from the mid-1700s to the 1830s. He lived in a time period when between 35 and 50,000 African women and men made in the Imago Dei in the image of God were captured and ignorantly traded, horrifically sold into slavery, their freedom taken from them. Now, if you know anything about William Wilberforce, you know that he was born into a house of great wealth. He went off to college at Cambridge, and by his own admission, he didn't do much with his education. He didn't work that hard at it. He graduated, and at the ripe old age of 21, he was elected to Parliament. And for the next six years, at his own admission, he did nothing. He participated in votes, but really had no impact, did nothing for change, did nothing of significance, kind of mailed it all in, just kind of coasting on the surface. And then God. It was Easter of his 27th year here on earth. 
that he heard the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he accepted Christ, and as God demands of all of us, he was transformed. No longer would he coast. In fact, he saw people made in the Imago Dei in the image of God, 35 to 50,000 every year, and he decided that his goal in life would be the abolition, the ending, the destruction of slavery. Now at age 27 and as a new believer, he didn't have a lot of experience understanding the depth of sin, the tentacles of sin. And so along with a man named Clarkson, he figured that if they would just explain to Parliament the evils of sin, that would be the end of slavery. And that first year, Clarkson and my man, Wilberforce, introduced no less than 12 laws abolishing slavery. All 12 were put down. Slavery, sin, does not give up easily. Its tentacles are strong and hard, and bigots were in place, even people quoting Scripture, quite out of context, by the way. Slavery in Scripture has nothing to do with slavery as we know it. It's a shame we use the same word because they're not even close to one another. But people citing Scripture, people citing the economic boon of slavery, and all 12 were put down. They introduced additional laws in 1792, 93, 94, 97, 98, 1802, 1804, 1805. And finally, slavery was outlawed in England, but not in the United Kingdom. And so he began to work on the end, the abolition of slavery, which would not occur until 1833. He introduced laws at great personal risk to himself. He was at risk of being a martyr for the faith, but he kept introducing laws. He was a very sickly man. If you know anything about Wilberforce, he was sickly from the day he was born to the day he died. And three days before he was taken home to glory, he saw the abolition of slavery throughout the United Kingdom. What a great man. He also served to protect chimney sweeps and single mothers and juvenile delinquents. He initiated the Bible Society in England and the United Kingdom. He initiated the Missionary Society in England. This man was used greatly for the kingdom of God. He used what God entrusted to him, and he used it mightily. And in that way, he's a lot like our man Obadiah in today's text. A man who is used mightily where God planted him. Not escaping out of the world, not into a Christian cocoon, but he was used where God planted him. I'd like to pick up in 1 Kings 18 and read verses 1 to 8. After many days, we're talking about over a 1,000, about 1,100, 
After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the prophet in the third year, that is the third year of the drought, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, that's the king of Israel, up to this point the most evil king Israel had had, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Samaria is right dab in the middle of Israel. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them by fifties in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And Obadiah said, or Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. People are dying. People are dying from a lack of food and water. And the priority of Ahab is horses and mules. We have a recent inscription that tells us that Ahab had 2,000 chariots. A chariot required two or four horses. He had 2,000 of them. He also had a cavalry. And he was more concerned with those horses than he was with people. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself. Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord. Behold, Elijah is here. Now, as you know, back in chapter 17, verse 1, God sends his prophet Elijah to Ahab with these words, By the word of the Lord, it will not rain or do except at my word, and it did not rain or do on the land, and we discover it's been for three and a half years. Now you can picture what's going on. We talked about it last week. The rivers are dry, the wadis are cracked, the ground is parched, animal carcasses are laying everywhere. Certainly people are leaving Israel for better land. There's great pressure on the king to do something. The king is angry, but he's powerless. But in contrast to the earthly king, we serve the king who is not powerless. And that king desires to give Israel another chance. The Israelites who have embraced idolatry, and yet God is going to graciously give them, as he often gives us, another chance. Now just a point of clarification. At this point, we might be reading Obadiah and we think to ourselves, oh yeah, I know the guy. And we think back like 50,000 years ago when Pastor Dan preached two sermons in a row on Obadiah. And we say, I remember that guy. And Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. The problem is in the Bible, there are a dozen Obadiahs. And the one that Dan preached about is not this Obadiah. In fact, all we know about this Obadiah is in this text, and we know that he is the chief or the head of staff for the king. 
Now we go to chapter 16, verse 30, and it says that Ahab did evil in the sight of God, more evil than all who preceded him. So Ahab is the most evil of all the kings up to this point, and Obadiah is his chief of staff. Now we might push back and we might say, oh, what a compromiser. I mean, if you were really a man of God, he would have nothing to do with serving in the kingdom of Ahab, the most vile king to this point in Israel's history. But yet that's not what Scripture says. Verse 3 says, he greatly feared he had reverential awe for the Lord. And verse 4 tells us, at great personal risk, he has found a hundred prophets of Baal, or excuse me, a hundred prophets of Yahweh who are in danger of the cutthroat killers of Baal. And he has taken those hundred prophets, divided them in two, and put them in caves. And frankly, he's been feeding them for the last 1,000 days. Now we could say, well, if you were really a man of God, he would have found another job, except that's not what Scripture says. In fact, Scripture almost never tells us to get out of where God planted us. Scripture says to be salt and light where we are planted, to be kingdom movers where we are planted to speak for the Lord, to honor the Lord, to live for the Lord where we are planted. That's the kingdom message, Old and New Testament. And that's what Obadiah does. And let's not move too quick on how he provides. Verse 4, he gave them bread and water every day. Now let's suppose for a moment, the text doesn't say this, but I'm going to surmise for a moment that he gave them one meal every day. That would be 128,000 meals provided by one man. 128,000. Now, if he gave them two square meals, we're up around a quarter million. If he gave them three square, square meals, we're up around 375 or more. 128,000 meals. Imagine the cost of that. And the cost is much more than monetary. Imagine going to shop for 100 meals every day. Imagine preparing bread for 100 meals every day. Imagine taking the food to the caves surreptitiously, knowing that if you're caught, you're dead. Imagine the cost to his family. If he's caught, certainly he's dead, but probably not forthright. He, his spouse, his children, maybe his extended family, they are tortured before they are put to death. Obadiah is a man who feared God, who didn't escape where God planted him, but was used by God in the midst of where God planted him. Obadiah means servant of Jehovah. And some of you, are Obadiahs. Some of you are used by the Lord to have Bible studies in secular places. I know of some medical personnel who have Bible studies for other medical personnel. 
well done, Obadiah. I know of some owners who allow Bible studies and encourage Bible studies in the place that they own. For anyone who is part of the organization, well done, Obadiahs. I know individuals who have set up opportunities for the underprivileged. Well done, Obadiahs. I know a couple guys that will go from fair to fair. And Highland will fund some of that this summer. And they'll set up a booth to share the gospel. And if it's like other summers, more than 100 people will probably give their lives over to Jesus. Well done, Obadiah. I know some individuals who are going to have five-day clubs in their yard and invite the neighborhood kids to come hear the gospel. Well done, Obadiah. I know some individuals who serve on committees or boards for secular organizations, and they're salt and light where they are. Well done, Obadiah. I know some people who regularly invite neighbors and friends and co-workers to church where they'll hear the gospel. Well done, Obadiah. Obadiah's refused fortress mentality. Obadiah's see where God has planted them, and they seek to be salt and light in the midst of it, knowing full well that it could come at a great personal cost. Isn't that what Jesus said? In John 15, 18 to 21, he said this, If the world hates you, know this, it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Obadiah, Christ followers. Christ followers who imitate, imitate Obadiah live as Christ as Lord. Christ as Lord of our lives. Christ as first. Christ exalted above anything else. Their allegiance may be to a kingdom here, but their ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom and the king that is not of this world. And we live in this world as strangers and aliens passing through, desiring to serve the greatness of God. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. He said, you, you, are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Think of salt. Think of light. Salt is a preservative, right? In the ancient world, they would salt their cheese. They would salt their meat. And it would allow the meat to be eaten months later. It was a preserving force. And that's what we are to be. Not an escaping force, 
Not a fortress mentality force, but a force that preserves the world. Now, I have a grandbaby. She's the best one in the world, in my opinion. She lives next door, and she calls me Popo, because that was my grandfather's name, and he was very sick all of my life, and so I thought for my mom, I would take her dad's name. So my grandbaby says all the time, Popo swing, Popo swing, because we have a swing over in our yard, and so I take her over, and I catechize my daughter, or excuse me, my granddaughter, while we swing. I've been teaching her six verses of scripture since her first day on the earth. I teach her a number of catechism things while I swing. You know you have a captive audience when you push? (laughs) And then I sing a bunch of songs. One of her favorites, her very favorite, is Wheels on the Bus. No theology there. But one of her favorites is Hide It Under a Bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan... No! I'm going to let it shine. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, let your light shine. Be salty. Preserve. Allow your light to permeate darkness. Light does not need more light. Light needs darkness to change darkness into light. I think of Joseph of Genesis. He served Potiphar, the head of the secret service of Egypt. Think one of the most vile organizations in history. And he did it with integrity. He became the second most powerful man in the most powerful dynasty of its day in Egypt. And he did it without compromise. Was Joseph a sinner? I'm sure he was, but actually... There's nothing in Scripture to tell us of his compromise. He's one of a very, very, very few that everything is said about Joseph is admirable. I think of Daniel. Daniel served several first Babylonian and then Medo-Persian monarchs. He became the second most powerful man. He didn't have a fortress mentality. He didn't try and escape his environments. He served within it. And then when he was commanded to compromise, not to pray for 30 days, he chose the lion's den over compromise. He was where God planted him. He served God there faithfully, but he would not compromise his life. I think of Esther. Esther was a queen. She was also a Jewess, but nobody knew it. And then there was an anti-Semitic pogrom, and anti-Semitism is growing. It's very strong in Europe and growing here on this side of the pond as well. And Haman desired to murder the Jews. She could have remained quiet, but she identified with her people and her God And she identified herself as a Jewess at great personal risk and was used by God to put down Haman. May her tribe increase. 
I think of Chang. No, not in the Bible. Chang is a Chinese word that means freedom. That was the name given to her, or it was her, her real name. I'm not sure which. I never had the privilege of meeting Chang, but knew a lot about her. It was over 20 years ago that she gave up her freedom to enter an illegal sweatshop in New York. A thousand Chinese women work seven or six and a half days a week, often 14, 15 hours a day, being paid in a salary that nobody could survive on. Modern-day slaves. Were they illegals? Probably every one of them. And Chang decided to enter in. And the sweatshop allowed her to go there to minister, to shepherd a thousand women if she would give up her freedom and if the quotas would be met. And some of us had the privilege of financially supporting her and buying Bibles for her and praying for her. We were never told where the sweatshop sweat was or we might have gone in a different direction to try and find the authorities to shut down modern-day slavery. We were not trusted with that, but we were trusted with the ability to support Chang. And hundreds of Chinese women came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because she gave up her freedom because slavery was alive and well in this country. And she entered into it to save lives and to save souls. She's a modern-day Wilberforce. She's a modern-day Obadiah. May her tribe increase. Well, let's read just a little bit more about Obadiah in our text. I'm in 1 Kings 18. I want to pick up in verse 9 and read to 17. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so where I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find you. He will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men in the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts live, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler, that's the word asp or poisoner? Is it you, you poisoner of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you followed the Baals. Since the drought began, King Ahab and Jezebel have not rested. They've gone to other countries. They've sent emissaries to other countries. People have been forced to swear upon their nation that they're not harboring Elijah. 
Nobody knows where he is. And remember, when God hides his prophet, the prophet stays hidden. And suddenly, the prophet shows up. He doesn't show up to Ahab. He shows up to Obadiah. Remember, Ahab has gone left and Obadiah has gone right. And suddenly, Obadiah finds the prophet. And he's terrified because he has too much respect to bind the prophet And besides, he's a protector of prophets, not a murderer of prophets. But he knows when Elijah says, go tell Ahab that I'm here. If he goes and comes back and and God's spirit's moved and Obadiah has left, he's going to be put to death. How could he have Elijah in his grasp and let him go? And so it's a precarious situation. And Elijah says, relax. Kind of uh, out of Matthew, right? Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything other than that is of the evil one. Hey, trust me. I said I'll be here. I'll be here. Go and get Ahab. And so Ahab comes and immediately he bellows. You poisoner. You asp. You viper. You cobra. You snake of Israel. You have poisoned the land. And Elijah will have none of it. It's because of you and your wife Jezebel who came, bags, baggage, and Baal, the insidious false god of weather, and Asherah, the insidious false goddess of fortune. It's because of them and your father Omri and the evil that led all of Israel into idolatry. You have poisoned the land. And I said it last week, and I got pushed back from one person, but I'm going to say it again. You're not a prophet. You still didn't get to be a prophet this week. Neither am I. So we don't get to speak like a prophet. But we need to be forthright like a prophet. We need to be truthful like a prophet. We need to be salt and light like a prophet. But maybe a little gentler than the prophet. In fact, we're given pretty clear instructions on how we ought to act as we interact with our society Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, certainly Ahab is, you who are spiritual, that is, you who know the truth, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Not only will we impact the world better with tact and timing, but when we go with anger and meanness and malice, we probably harbor sin in our heart. We need to speak in a spirit of gentleness with humility, lest we too fall into sin. And so he speaks. As I think about the text, I think the overarching lesson that I want to walk away with is this. God wants us to serve where we are planted. He does not want a fortress mentality. Us against the world or us exiting the world. He wants us to be like Joseph of Genesis or Daniel or Chang or Esther or Wilberforce or Clarkson or Obadiah. You remember the high priestly prayer of Christ? In John 15, Jesus said this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I ask you protecting them From the evil one. Do you see what the request is? 
He's not asking us to exit the world. He's not asking us to exit our jobs. He's not asking us to exit our neighborhoods. He wants us to be Obadiahs that impact our world, to be Daniels that impact our government, to be Esthers that stand up even when the cost is high, to be Chang who even gives up freedom in order to advance the kingdom. I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I ask that you keep them from the evil one. That is, in the midst of where God has planted us, no compromise, no giving up. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty one: The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing as forceful men lay hold of it. Advance is not retreat. Advance is not a holy huddle. Advance is not being taken out of the world. He wants us to be kingdom impactors where he has planted us and to stand against the evil one, to be an Obadiah, to be like many of you, taking the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well done. Obadiahs, may we all take one more step for God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, uh, it seems safer, certainly more enjoyable to exit the world, but that's not what you've called us to. Father, you've told us that we need to be where you have planted us. And we need to be salt and light in the midst of that. We need to be like Daniel who will not compromise and even take repercussions. To be like Esther who counts the cost and pays forward. To be like Chang who even gives up freedom to advance the kingdom. To be like Wilberforce and Clarkson who easily could have been martyred for the faith, and yet they saw people made in the Imago Dei treated like chattel, and they would have none of it. Father, give us that kind of courage. Give us that kind of commitment. Allow the kingdom of God to forcefully advance as forceful men lay hold of it. Let us live that out. Make us and to Obadiahs, and thank you for the many Obadiahs who are here. And may we each take the next step in our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, for your glory and our betterment. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.